0: against them. Uh, The Persian army was vast and a massive. Uh, An envoy arrived from the Persian king and he said to Leonidas uh, that it's futile to try and resist the advances of the Persians. Uh, The envoy says, our archers are so numerous that their arrows, the flight of their arrows will darken the sun. And Leonidas replies, so much the better, we shall fight them in the shade. (laughs) And he and his 300 soldiers made a stand and they all died. Uh, this morning we're thinking about courage and the courage it takes to be a Christian in the world today. Uh, pick this opening illustration because there's something besides courage in what Leonidas says. I think it's his ability to look at a situation and to see a different outcome and a different perspective. He finds this silver lining despite the circumstances. Uh, And in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul exhibits the same attitude. Um, He is writing from prison and he sees this bigger picture. Uh, In the face of his own suffering, he chooses joy in every circumstance. And so I want us to learn that same lesson today. Uh, So why don't we start by praying that God would help us to choose joy no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you speak to us today as we open your word? Will you guide us in what you want us to hear? Will you give us the courage to trust in your promises? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, all through term four, we are dipping into the book of Philippians and thinking through that theme of choosing joy. And it comes uh, right up in not quite the first verse we read, but uh, I'm kind of thinking through verses 10 to 30 today. So have a look down at verse 18. We see Paul say this. He says, yes, yes. And I will continue to rejoice. There's the joy word. I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So, what had happened to Paul? We've skipped over a few verses in the interest of time, but Paul makes it clear in those verses that he's in prison. And particularly, he's in prison for Christ. He's in chains for Christ. And uh, his imprisonment is because of his work of sharing Jesus. Um, so our first idea for today is courage under fire. When you look at the life of Paul, there are numerous occasions where his ministry left him in prison. And beaten and, and flogged and mobbed and run out of town. And this particular imprisonment that he writes about in Philippians is probably the two years that he spent under Roman guard um, in Rome, uh, waiting to see the Roman emperor. You can read about it in Acts twenty-eight, twenty-eight. I'm not 100% sure, certain that that's what it is, but that's what everybody believes it to be. And what's certain is that this imprisonment was designed to prevent Paul from continuing his work of sharing the gospel. But rather than shutting down the gospel, it, it actually serves to advance the gospel. Have a look at verse 12. Paul says this, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear so paul's accusers they wanted to shut down the gospel those who originally brought charges against him but all it actually did was to inflame the gospel and to embolden god's people to proclaim the gospel without fear and i want to reflect on that just for a moment you know we often hear that rhetoric we used to be a christian nation you know, we used to be a Christian nation. It wouldn't it be great if we were a Christian nation again. And well, I think the reality is that we've had a Christian nation for a very long time. And, and during that time of the Christian nation, we saw the, the trajectory of Christians go like this, dropping down towards not many at all. But interestingly, you see in countries where there's persecution against the church, the number of Christians does this. It actually goes up. And I think it's this. I think there's something about peace and prosperity and full, full, full refrigerators and, and access to good doctors. That means that most of us end up, most people end up forgetting about their faith. It becomes a small part of life because you don't need, you don't need God when, you know, when the fridge is full and the doctor is there. You've got no need. You, know, you don't need supernatural help. You feel like you've provided everything for yourself. But you know what? When people are telling you, you must not bow down. You must not speak the name of Christ. You must not pray. It reminds me of the book of Daniel. Well, it actually doesn't shut Christians down. What it does is it emboldens them more and more. And so Paul, he's in prison. Um, We think he's literally chained up on a three-foot chain to a a Roman guard 24 hours a day. There's a a word in the Greek that describes that chain. Um, All of the guards who were chained up to him became aware of the reason, probably because he kept telling them or kept praying or kept reading his Bible or, or however it worked. But they know that he's in chains for Christ. These these are the Praetorian guard. These are like the elite Roman soldiers. Um, These guards are quite um, exclusive as Roman guards go. And they understand that he's in chains for Christ. And a bit like the Philippian jailer, I think some of them probably have come to faith by listening to him and probably hearing him pray. He probably prayed for them as they were chained to him. And so rather than become afraid and stifle his faith it actually emboldens Paul and there's other Christians in Rome who are facing the same persecution at the time rather than becoming afraid and stifling their faith or hiding it instead they own their faith publicly more and more as they watch this example that Paul set for them and when we look around the countries uh, we look at the countries around the world where Christians are persecuted the most they're also the places where the gospel is growing the most and so it's a little lesson for us here. We shouldn't shy away from persecution. And actually, we should take Paul's lesson and be bold to speak about Christ. Um, at the moment in Australia, and it and was pretty similar when I lived in the States, we're often worried about what people will think if I tell them that I'm a Christian. You know, we're we worried that it might interrupt our friendship or our working relationship. And so we shy away from speaking about the person who is our life. Christ is our life, you know, to live as Christ. We shy away from speaking about that, possibly more for our own embarrassment than anything else. But I wonder what would Robertson and Burrowang look like if we were more like Paul, if we owned our faith a bit more publicly, if we shared the hope we have in Jesus with with love and grace, of course. But what would it be like if the whole Southern Highlands heard about the extraordinary faith of of the Christians who live here, maybe even the ones who come from Robbo Church? So that's our first big idea, courage under fire. Second idea is confidence in the outcome. Um, Paul is in prison because of his public faith, uh, and he's locked up because of his prominent voice. Uh, and he might have seen that as the end of his public ministry or the end of his effectiveness. But actually, Paul sees this silver lining. Look at verse 18 again. He says, Yes, I will. He says, Yes, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance isn't that extraordinary Paul has been delivered into the hands of his enemies just like Christ was delivered into the hands of his enemies Paul has been delivered into prison and yet Paul trusts and believes that God will use this situation for his deliverance by the way deliverance is the same word as salvation in the original language. And so Paul trusts and believes that Jesus will use this situation for his deliverance. And I don't know if Paul means his physical deliverance out of jail or whether he's talking about his ultimate deliverance into God's kingdom, you know, his salvation. See, Paul faces the reality that this persecution could result in his death. Uh, we don't face that kind of religious persecution here in Australia generally, um, or, or not, not usually ones that will lead to death. Um, and probably won't in our lifetimes as far as we can tell but as for those who are persecuted people around the world who are persecuted and really facing death there often is that choice you know renounce Christ or be killed or renounce Christ or become imprisoned we've seen that in the world over uh, I had a friend um, at Bible College at Moore College he grew up in a Muslim a predominantly Muslim suburb in Sydney he loved all of his Muslim friends. And so as a missionary, or as, a, as a person who went to Bible college, he wanted to give his life to sharing the gospel with Muslims. And so for the first six years out of Bible college, my friend and his wife and their two young children lived in, um, uh, a, in a closed Islamic country. Um, we weren't allowed to know what country it was, They weren't allowed to keep their names. They had to change their names. Uh, They weren't allowed to share their names on prayer points anywhere. Their whole social media, all of their online history had to be deleted before they went so that nobody in the country could find out that they were Christians. And uh, my friend went there. It was illegal to share the gospel in that country. So he went as a language student. I was learning Arabic and uh, he learned Arabic and he talked about Jesus. Uh, And they went to an underground church. And his family were very courageous. Um, One day, my friend was taken by the secret police uh, on the street. They took him and took him down a dark tunnel and kept him in a room for 24 hours. And uh, his wife and kids didn't know where he was. Uh, He was detained and questioned. And finally, about a day later, they let him out. No charges against him. The Lord delivered him. Um, the missionary company took them out of that country pretty quickly afterwards. Um, they moved him to another country where it was slightly easier to be a Christian. But, you know, think about that. How brave to sort of say, Jesus and the message of Jesus and the salvation of, deliverance, uh, salvation of Jesus and the deliverance of Jesus is so important that I'll risk my life to share it with these people who might otherwise not hear. Isn't that brave? And my friend knew that Jesus was worth the cost. Whatever happens to him, he would have said, This will turn out for my deliverance. And it will turn out for the deliverance of those who hear the message of Christ. In verse 20, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul is so certain about what's happening here But he says it doesn't actually matter if he lives or if he dies. He says, if I live, I get to keep talking about Christ. And if I die, well, I I gain heaven. And uh, Paul is confident in the outcome either way. Uh, I have a a sad story about this verse. Uh, When I was a young adult, there were two guys in youth group with me. Um, They became leaders. I was a leader as well. Um, The guys I knew quite well. We used to go surfing together, hence the picture. Um, These two guys... We're best friends, they're inseparable. And because it was the 90s, they both got tattoos together. Um, (laughs) Right above the back of their board shorts, pardon the uh, thing, right here. One said, to live is Christ, and the other one, to die is gain. Well, I saddened a few years ago to see on Facebook, one of the two guys is in his mid-40s now, and he's a business guy. He does a lot of ocean swimming. And uh, there was photos of him with his swimming team, and the tattoo is gone, to live is Christ it's gone when he was 21 he had tattooed in bold letters to live is Christ and by his 40s the tattoo was gone and perhaps he's still with Christ but it doesn't look like it from everything I've seen and so perhaps for him to live was not really Christ perhaps it was never more than skin deep well Paul is convinced his skin is in the game. Uh, when you read verse 22 to 26, he does this little pro and cons list about whether it's better to dine and, and go and be with God or whether it's better to continue living and to share Christ and even if it means suffering in the short term. And he chooses to go on. I don't know whether it's really his choice to go on, but he does choose to go on verse 25 because he knows it will mean joy, the joy of faith for those he serves in the gospel. It's quite an attitude, isn't it? Um, I feel like I poke and prod you guys a lot. In the teaching, I don't think it's me. Actually, I think it's what God does to us. He pokes and prods us, doesn't he? Whether he lives or dies, nothing will stop Paul from living for Christ. Paul was confident in the outcome, and it emboldened him to live with one goal only. And so, I wonder, what what are you living for? What is your goal in life and death? Third idea: conduct worthy of Christ. Um, I initially entitled this section. Uh, imitating Paul but, but actually I don't think we'll ever find ourselves under the same persecution the intense persecution that Paul faced um, and it was the same actually for the Philippian church it wasn't quite as bad for them the persecution that we face I think it's much more low level and, and I think for us persecution and our reaction plays out in the small decisions in the little decisions and the little moments of courage that we need when we're tempted to make Jesus less important than he really is to us I think that's the real danger for us, downplaying Jesus and downplaying our faith. I'm a Christian, but I'm not that much different from you. Well, you probably actually are. I'm downplaying the faith like that. I think in the military, they might call that conduct unbecoming, um, behavior that kind of doesn't really honor the beliefs that you stand for. Well, Paul suggests the opposite. I think he suggests conduct becoming, or he says conduct worthy of Christ. Have a look at verse 27. Whatever... Happens. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Three little ideas in this passage. And the first one, I think, is standing firm in the Spirit. There's a there's a beautiful unity of of the church when we're in Christ. Christ actually unites us into one body, and He makes us one people with one goal and one destination. I was going to say one direction, but about 15 years ago, people would have laughed. Now you're like, what does that even mean? Uh, Paul wants the <laughs> these guys. They're like, I know what that means. Paul wants the church there in Philippi to remain united. Uh, He wants them to remain united and not to let anything split them apart because actually something weird had been happening in Philippi. Earlier in the chapter, Paul says that some people in the Roman church were preaching out of rivalry and envy, trying to make things worse for Paul. Um, I don't really understand why anybody would do that. And why would one gospel preacher try to get another preacher in trouble by preaching Christ? I don't quite understand how they did it. But Paul says, don't do that. We're all working for the same goal. We're all working for Christ. We're all united in Christ. So let's keep working towards the same goal for Christ. Let's stand firm in one spirit. I don't think it's an issue for us here, but there is a reminder to be united in what we're, what's important for us. What's important for us here at church is the gospel. And that's idea number two, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So our whole project as a church is to to strive together for the faith of the gospel. That is, I think, to live out what Christ wants us to live out, to live faithful lives in him, to to come and confess our sins at the foot of the cross, to to baptize and make disciples, and to share the gospel with those around us. Paul reminds us to stand firm in the the main thing. The main thing is the gospel, um, and the gospel project of sharing the hope of Jesus into all of the places that God plants his people. And he says if you do that, you don't need to be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Um, It's interesting, you know, being afraid of the world, being afraid of the culture, being afraid of what's happening in the universities or what's happening in the public schools, being afraid of what people might talk about. Um, It never stopped Paul, did it? In fact, he said we need to be in the world, not of the world, but we need to be in the world. And it never stopped Jesus either. See, Jesus spoke the truth in the middle of opposition as they led him to his death for it. Uh, But he triumphed over the grave, didn't he? So Paul was probably led to his death for the same thing, and countless Christians have been in the centuries since. In America, they talk about a culture war. Um, You know, the culture is sort of fighting against the Christians. Uh, I'm not worried about this culture war because the culture will never win. Jesus wins. Jesus' kingdom one day will be all in all. And everything that opposes him, it will fall down and disappear like a bad dream. And I think that's why we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I would love to see God's kingdom extended amongst us. I'd love to see churches everywhere, little beacons of light in the darkness, talking about Jesus so that people could come and find a life. And you know what? I trust that will happen. No matter what happens in the culture, God's kingdom is growing every day. I'm confident in the outcome. If we remain faithful to the task of the gospel, Jesus will win. We don't need to worry about that. We don't need to worry about the culture. We just need to keep standing firm in the gospel. Well, Paul says if we do that, we don't need to be frightened of anybody who opposes us. Jesus himself said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Paul's telling us the same thing. Don't be afraid of what the world might say. Stand up for your faith in Jesus. Because when you act like that in front of them, halfway through verse 28, it says this it says, This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed and that you'll be saved, and that by God. Um, I used to play a position in rugby where I got to catch the restart kicks. You know, those high balls that go up and you sort of stand there waiting for this ball to come down and in the meantime the other team send at least two or three players charging you down and uh, trying to kill you just like in the picture I think that's actually girls in the picture but you know no judgment maybe I looked a bit like that when I got tackled Um, and uh, it would be really funny I was a lot lighter at the time and um, and, you know I'd be waiting for these balls and, and if the guys timed it just right the second it touches you Two people just obliterate you and you try to hold on to the ball and pass it off to your guys. But from the bottom of the pile, my job, I felt like, apart from keeping the ball, was just to smile up at them. I was like, G'day guys, how are you doing? <laughs> They've just nailed me. Like, how are you doing? Isn't it a lovely day for football? And they hated it. Can I tell you, they hated that. They wanted to kill me and then to destroy me and to take me out of the game. And uh, and, and this is a sign to them that I'm not going to be destroyed. I will smile as you pile on top of me and uh, I'll hold on to the ball and I'll retain it and pass it back to my guys. It was so good. It was brilliant. You know, you do that and they know they can't touch you. I mean, they can touch you, but they can't touch you inside. And when we do that in the world, uh, when we speak with Christ, not with anger or venom or, or, or When we speak of Christ with love and grace and inclusivity in a way that commends him, it's a sign to those who are trying to persecute us and trying to destroy us that actually we're not going to be destroyed no matter what they try. They're going to be the ones who lose in the end because the gospel will never be destroyed. Jesus' project of the gospel and the kingdom, it's never going to fail. Have a look at verse 29. This is one of the hardest parts, I think, about living in a modern Western progressive culture where we expect that all things, things will always be good for us. That they'll always be good all of the time. Have a look at what Paul reminds. us. He says, For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. This is a hard verse. Um, In the Christian life, We're blessed by God in in the spiritual realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ and we experience all kind of material blessings. But it's also been appointed for us to suffer on behalf of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes on account of the gospel. And this is not suffering due to life circumstances or illness or something like that. Paul's talking about the suffering that comes directly as a result of following Jesus or speaking about Jesus, or or being a Christian in public. He says, if you want to follow Jesus, don't be surprised when you suffer because of it. Jesus said in John 15, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians when we face persecutions of all kinds. But we know that Jesus will not be defeated. He will win. And, and even if they defeat us in the small moments, we do it with a smile as a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, not the gospel. You can take away my physical body, but you can't take away my eternal life. Nothing can do that. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that a wonderful message that we can take into life? No matter what happens, we trust that Christ will have victory in this life and in the next and no matter what might happen to us in these frail and failing bodies, we'll be raised victorious with Christ. So take courage in Christ. Let's pray. And we're going to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread.